0: Um, very excited, uh, privilege. Daniel invited me to come and start off a new series. Jacob mentioned that. We're doing a series called Better Together, and it's about healthy relationships. And so um, Daniel asked me to come do it um, because he's in Honduras. And so um, today we're going to start by talking about what I think is the single most important thing we could talk about in any sermon series, anywhere, at any time, and that's a relationship with God. And so i um, just, you know, you want to know how much your pastor loves God. Well, he's in Honduras today. Um, he's uh, leading other leaders, um, teaching them how to be better leaders so that the gospel can go forward in Honduras. And so um, I just want to take a minute and pray over Daniel, and I want to invite you to join me in prayer. Um, and, and when I say invite you to join me, I don't mean like, don't just sit and listen to me, like engage in agreement um, invite you to pray on your own. You can pray out loud if you want to. That ain't weird if we're all praying. That's good. So let's pray over Daniel. Dad, Jesus, Spirit, we come before you and we are so thankful for how good you are to us, and we're thankful that you've given us a pastor like Daniel Casenave. We're thankful for his heart, that he is willing to go somewhere else and pour into other leaders. And we just want to ask that you'd protect him, bring a canopy of protection over him, send angels to guard him and those with him. Um, We just want to pray an anointing over him. God, we ask that you would speak through him, use him to affect the leaders who are there um, so that others can be one to relationship with you. And lives are changed for eternity because of it. We come against any attacks of the enemy that would come against Daniel and his team while they're there, or we just uh, command them bound and broken in your name and by your power and authority, Jesus, and we just ask you to be glorified in what's going on there, protect Daniel, bring him back home to his family safely, and and just use this mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, um, I think this is the most important thing that we can possibly talk about, and I'm delighted that Daniel asked me to be the one to talk about it, because I'm passionate about this. Um, We're going to talk today about um, the with God life. There it is, there we go. Uh, That is a phrase that I stole from Dallas Willard. That is not mine. Uh, Dallas Willard is, uh, or was, he passed a few years ago, um, a teacher and professor who was known for having a very deep walk with God. And if you ever read any of his stuff, you can just tell, like the man knew Jesus. He just did. And uh, he always talked about the with God life, the kind of life that we live that is with God. And so we're going to start out, I thought Dave was going to preach my sermon for me because he went into Matthew 22, and that's where we're going to start. same passage, I'm going to start a little earlier than what Dave did. Uh, 22, starting at verse 34, um, but when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So I love this, this situation here. you got to remember, like, these, these religious leaders of this day, they had dedicated their entire lives to knowing God's law and trying to live it out as perfectly as they could. And, man, they thought they had this thing locked down. Like, they knew it better than anybody. They did it better than anybody. They were holier than everybody. And then comes along this dude who is a carpenter's son, and he comes in and teaches with an authority that they didn't have, winning the hearts of the people like they couldn't, and backing it up with signs and wonders. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you're in your life where like, you've practiced at something and you feel like you're pretty good at it, and then somebody comes along, and there's, it's just undeniable that they're better than you at it? Like, that's a really hard feeling. And so these guys, when they come up against Jesus, who's just undeniably different than what they have, well, they do the, the first thing they think of to do. They start trying to discredit him. You know, We know this today. The simplest way to get somebody to shut up, give them a microphone. Sooner or later, they're going to say something dumb. If I stay up here long enough, I'm going to say something stupid. That's just, we're human. And so they give them a microphone and give them a chance to say something dumb. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And this is a trick question, because there's nothing that he can say that is right. No matter what he says, they're going to go, oh, okay, so it's okay if I steal just as long as I'm not coveting. That's how you look at things. No matter what he says, they're going to come back and nail him for it. And I love this, because Jesus, with incredible clarity, he answers immediately the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. And by the way, there's a second that's like it. Love your neighbor. But then Jesus doubles down on it, almost like he's daring them to challenge him. And he says, on these two commandments, all of the law and prophets depend. I Man, that's bold. He comes out and challenges them immediately. It's important for us, though, because what we see is that The most important thing that we can do is loving God, and so that's why we're starting this series here. Our relationship with God is the most important thing, and so today we're going to talk about three important things to remember about relationship with God, and the first is that God wants to have an intimate, loving relationship with you, all of us really, but you specifically because I want you to hear it, you know, God wants to have an intimate relationship with you. So an important diagnostic question for you here. What do you think Christianity is about? If somebody didn't know anything about Christianity, they had never heard anything about it, and they were like, dude, tell me what you believe. What's this thing about? How would you answer them? I've met a lot of people who grew up in the church and walked away from it, and the reason they walked away was because the answer that they got to that question was, it's about keeping some rules, doing the right stuff, trying not to, like, you know, get on God's bad side because he's going to smack me down if I do something wrong. That's, that's my brother's story. I was actually talking to him earlier this week, and he told me about how as he was growing up, you know, his experience in the church was it was all about the rules and all the things he couldn't do but other people were allowed to do. And, yeah, man, he ran away from that. Of course he did. What he told me was the thing that brought him back was when he came back to church and what he experienced were people who loved Jesus and they loved him because they loved Jesus. Pretty straightforward, Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. But love for one another, that's upcoming weeks. What I've heard in response to many, many people to, to that kind of churchianity culture is, well, Christianity's not... A religion, it's a relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with that. It's, it's why we're talking about healthy relationships, you know. It's, Christianity is about a relationship with God. But let me ask you, what kind of a relationship do you have with God? What's your relationship with him like? I mean, the, the church answer is, well, I love Jesus and he loves me. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's the right answer. But, like, honestly, how do you, when you Live? Does it show that? Jacob and I have this phrase that that we argue about that he doesn't like. Uh, It's actions reveal beliefs 100% of the time. Like how you live shows what you really believe about your relationship with God. And I think if many of us are honest, what we really believe is that we know Jesus loves us because once upon a time, a couple thousand years ago, he died on the cross for our sins. And so I respond by honoring him and serving him and obeying him, which are all fantastic things. You should do all of those things. But in the day-to-day, like, there's not a lot of love involved in that. Do you actually have an affection for Jesus in your heart? That's an important thing. What do you think God thinks of you? Because it's important that we know that he wants an intimate, loving relationship with us. You know, if you're in, let's just say, you know, you're in in a dating relationship or a marriage, and you're like, man, this other person is fantastic. She's way out of my league. Like, I think she loves me, but I know she's sticking around. And so I'm just going to do my best to make sure she's happy so she doesn't leave me. How long does a relationship like that last really? Like sooner or later, either she's going to bolt or you're going to be like I don't care how great she is, like I need somebody who actually like loves me and I love them. And so it's really important that we know how God thinks about us. And so how does how do you think God thinks of you? There's this popular phrase that people will say, well I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And man, I hate that phrase. Because you are a sinner, so am I. And you are saved by grace, so am I. But that little word just in there, that's theologically problematic. If you think that all you are is a sinner saved by grace, you need to go back to your scriptures. So what does the Bible say about us? Well, we might say, well, God's the potter and I'm the clay. That's accurate. Isaiah 64.8 says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. That's true. God's the potter, and he shapes us into the kind of people that he wants us to be so that we can be vessels for the advancement of his kingdom. That's true. Is that all there is, or is there more? Well, we know that Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 103 says, "No, that's 100, verse 3. <laughs> know that the Lord, he is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Well, that's a little better than clay. You know, at least now we're living beings. But sheep are notoriously stupid. And so, you know... That's pretty good. I'm glad the Lord is my shepherd, but is there more available to us than that? Well, Paul often introduced himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. And that word in the Greek, doulos, it has a broad range of meaning, and it ranges everywhere from a servant, like a paid servant who actually comes and does things for someone, all the way up to a slave, like a real actual slave, like no freedom does what the master wants regardless, and there's a broad range in there, and Paul introduced himself that way. Like in Philippians 1.1, he started at Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So we are servants, and he is our king, and that's good. At least we're human now, so that's a good step forward. But is there more than that? Well, Jesus made this really amazing statement. In John 15.15, 15, he said to his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Well, now, that's a big step. Friends of God, the great king who has created and redeemed the universe, he's my friend. I'm kind of happy about that one. That's a good step in the right direction, but amazingly, it doesn't stop there. Romans 8, Paul wrote, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, we're not just friends of God, as much of an honor as that is. If we are in Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. We are sons and daughters of the living God. That's pretty amazing. And there's a little bit of theology there that we've kind of lost in Western culture. Our old hymns knew it. They used to address Jesus as brother Jesus. Like Jesus, the Son of God, is our brother. He's the firstborn of many children. That firstborn meaning having preeminence, not like he was I mean he's he's God. but we are heirs with him. Like everything that Jesus has fought for, when he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, like he inherits the world, he inherits the kingdom, we are joint heirs with Jesus. Ephesians says we have been seated with him in the heavenlies. It's a picture that we share in the authority of Jesus. It's incredible. Like we're children of God. The remarkable thing is that that's not the end of it. Ephesians chapter 5 is well known for Paul's statements on marriage. You know, um, all he says about how wives and husbands are supposed to relate to one another, but he makes this really incredible statement. He first quotes Genesis um, chapter 2 um, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But then Paul adds this This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We've come a long way from being clay. Like, we are lovers of God. Like, that verse from Genesis where it says the man leaves his parents and the man and wife unite and become one flesh, like, we all know what he's talking about there, right? And Paul says, that thing... Actually refers to Christ and his church. Now, I'm not suggesting some kind of like weird cultish thing where we have a physical relationship with God, not saying something like that, but what the scripture does teach us is that the exquisite intimacy that is shared between a husband and wife of knowing each other in spirit and body and mind that that unity is something that we are intended to experience with God. God wants to have an intimate, loving relationship with each one of us. But if that's not enough for you, look at the language that is used throughout Scripture. Like God wants to be with us. He wants to be close to us, and the evidence is all through it. If you read in Genesis 1 and John 1, you get a picture here. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, Well, what we learn from that passage as it goes on, it's pretty obvious the word is Jesus. In the beginning, he was with God, and he was God, and by him all things were created. And then in Genesis 1-2, it tells us that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And so in the beginning, in creation, there was Father, Son, and Spirit, and they had an intimate relationship with each other. That's the mystery of the Trinity, where God is one, but three persons in one. We might not be able to wrap our head around how all that works, but what we know is that there was an intimacy, an intimate fellowship in God, and he chose to share that by creating people. It's the same thing parents do. When a couple gets married, like they have a great thing going, they want to share it, so they make kids, You share our fellowship. It's what we do. It's what God did. And then we know in Genesis um, chapter three, in the story of the fall, tragic story. But after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, where did God find them? Where did they find God? Well, He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God was there with them, that was His practice. And then all through Scripture, I mean, sin broke this relationship. But what we see, God's heart is like he just wants to be around us. I mean, it's all through there. Got a whole list of verses here. It's amazing stuff. Um, Exodus 25, after God delivered the Israelites, he starts teaching them how to build the tabernacle. Like you have all these rules about like make it out of this fabric and do this and that and that. You know why God told them to build the tabernacle? Exodus 25, 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God just wanted to dwell among them. Then Exodus 29, he is even more specific, more explicit. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. God just wanted to be around them. He wanted to dwell among them. After the Israelites went through all kinds of of, um, apostasy, falling away, they were taken into captivity and all that sort of thing, Ezekiel gets a message from God to give to them about their future. And what he said, Ezekiel 36, I will give you, this is God speaking, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So again, the language is God with them, God dwelling among them. And then the next chapter Ezekiel 37. He says, my dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. If you want a really interesting, instructive Bible study, next time you're reading through the scriptures, just make a note of that language I will be their God, and I will be among them as their God, and they will be my people. Some theme and variation of that. Just make note of how often you see that language. It's all throughout scripture. After they came back, um, after they came back, um, Zechariah. Gave a word to them. Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Dwelling among them. And then Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him he dwells with you and will be in you. And then Paul built on that, we're now the temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Like this whole thing about building a tabernacle so that God could be among them, like God wanted to be among them, be in their midst. Well, his game plan was after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, to put the Holy Spirit in each one of us. Now we are all temples of God. God wants to be among us, and this goes all the way through Scripture, literally until the very end, Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. There's that language again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Mm, man, that's good. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of, of the water of life without payment, and the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Like, if you have any doubt of God's heart for you, just go back and read your Bible. Like, it is all through there. He wants intimacy with you, and he wants to be with you. So that's the first thing first thing to remember about relationship with God, he wants an intimate, loving relationship with with us. The second thing is that loving God is the only path to happiness. I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. Everybody wants to be happy. And some of you are going to look at me and be like, well, duh. But we have this kind of crazy religious idea that um, our happiness is secondary to other things, you know, like Um, Like, really, our point is to be holier. We should be holy, but the bottom line, like, every one of us just wants to be happy, and we're inevitably going to chase the thing that makes us happy. It's just the way humanity works. The thing that makes us happy is what we will chase after. We seem to think that if we chase after God, it's going to limit our happiness, But that's a lie from the enemy. See, Jesus addressed that in John 10. He said, the thief, that guy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. See, the life that we want, that we desire, that our hearts long for, is tied up in relationship with Jesus. It's the other guy who wants all the garbage for us. See, we, we think that, you know, we, many of us have heard um, Jeremiah Toronto blank 17—I forget what chapter it's in— that, you know, your heart is uh, wicked and deceitful, who can trust it? But that's, you know, that's before the whole, I will give you a new heart, I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Like, the amazing thing about what Jesus has done, Paul wrote, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has gone and the new has come. The incredible thing about what God has done in our lives is that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation and we can turn our desires Godward now. The desires of our heart, the things that we want, we can find fulfillment for those things in God. And some of you might be going like, I don't know, man, you don't know the things that I want. Well, think about this. What do you want? you want power? Well, Genesis chapter 1, God told humanity to take dominion over the earth and subdue it. We were created to be God's regents in this world. Like, power was our birthright until we messed it up. We were just meant to wield it properly on God's behalf. Intimacy, are you looking for intimacy in wrong spots, sexual relationships, and things like that? Well, We just went through a whole litany of verses like we were born for intimacy with God. Like the fulfillment that we find in knowing someone and being known is meant to be found in God. And that desire that you have for intimacy, that's a good thing, actually. And you can go down the list. Your desires find their fulfillment in Christ. It's sin that has warped those things and turned them into evil against us. This is also the secret to breaking addiction, by the way. You know, like if you're struggling with some form of sin and you can't seem to break it, it's good to put boundaries in place. You know, like if you're struggling with pornography, like, yeah, get filters on your computer and your phone. Tell a good friend, hey, ask me occasionally. Tell your spouse, might be uncomfortable. Tell them, I'm struggling with this and I need you to hold my feet to the fire. Like, yes, put boundaries in place, absolutely. But just understand, that negative reinforcement only takes you so far. Like, if that's what you desire, if that's what you think is gonna make you happy, you will find a way around your safeguards to get to it eventually, you will. The only way, the only way to break addiction is to have something that you love more. I'm from St. Louis. My favorite pizza place is Pantera's Pizza. I love it, up in O'Fallon, Missouri if I could get away with it, I'd drive there tonight and get some. I also love Ted Drew's frozen custard, nationally recognized frozen custard place. Um, I love both of them. Anytime we go back, I want both of those things. Very, very simple way to keep me from a- eating Ted Drew's custard. What is it? My wife knows, or she should. put Pantera's pizza on the table. If you want that Ted Drew's and you don't want me to eat it, put Pantera's pizza on the table because I will choose the pizza every time. I like that more. Only way you're going to break addiction is to love Jesus more. If that thing that you're struggling with, if you know that it's going to put space between you and Jesus and you don't want space between you and Jesus, the time is going to come that you go, that sounds really good, but I know it's going to put space between me and Jesus, and I don't want that. I know what it's going to do, and you're going to put it aside. It's the only way to break addiction, loving God more. A few years ago, I started to notice that um, the psalmist seemed to have a very passionate love for God. It's kind of embarrassing, actually. Um. You start reading what they wrote. Psalm 27, uh, verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You asking for one thing? Is that what you're asking for? I mean That's not what I ask for a lot of the times. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, 1 through 3. O God, you are my God.
1: Earnestly
0: I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Psalm 73, 25 to 26, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Like, those psalmists, their relationship with God, and it wasn't just honor and respect and obedience. Like, they loved God, and they wanted to be with God. I started noticing that, and I went, I think those dudes love God more than I do. And so I started looking into it and going, God, why am I not like that? and started pursuing it. Well, Solomon learned the same thing by the end of Ecclesiastes. Daniel referred to this last week. He talked about trying everything. I mean everything. And by the end of it, his report was, keep the Lord's commandments. Follow the Lord. That's the whole point. Like, follow the Lord. We have to remember that we are meant to be lovers of God. You know, if you're in a relationship, I've heard a couple of different teachers use an analogy like this, so again, I can't, this isn't my own, I stole it, but in a relationship, courting a young woman, and she says, hey, let's spend some time tonight talking. Well, not tonight. I got this really great book on Amazon about how to relate to you. I'm gonna spend some time reading that. <laughs> That's romantic stuff, right? Right? Would you rather have that or would you rather have the guy who says, yes, I want to be with you. I want to look into your eyes. I want to, I want to smell your perfume. Really like to touch you, but we probably shouldn't do that. You know, we'll save that for the appropriate time. Like, which guy are you going to want? Nobody's really answering. Hey, come on. Nobody wants the boring guy who wants to read the book. Like we are meant to be lovers of God. We are meant to pursue after Him. And that goes right into the third point. We must intentionally cultivate the with God life. I heard a teacher say this recently so good. We are saved by God's grace through faith. That's for everyone. But intimacy with God, that's for those who pursue Him. Not everybody gets intimacy with God. It's for those who want it and go after it. So how do we pursue God? Like, what does that look like? Well, I'm going to say a word that people don't like. We have to use the spiritual disciplines. And like, now some of you are like, oh, gosh. This was good. God loves me, and I, oh, I love the stuff. God I want to be with us. It's all great. But now you're telling me i got to disciplines. Next, you're going to tell me I have to start eating my vegetables. You know, like, okay. But the disciplines, they're super important. And here's why. Because what the disciplines do, it's not about like getting better, getting stronger, doing more. The disciplines are about making space where we can meet with God and become closer to Him. Strongly recommend, I mentioned Dallas Wilder earlier, his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. Um, most book on spiritual disciplines, they they have like a chapter on fasting, and a chapter on praying, like telling you how to do the disciplines. Willard's book, he's really good about explaining why we do disciplines, like what's the point. And the point isn't so that we can get better at doing spiritual things. The point of the disciplines is so they can draw closer to God. And so there are disciplines of abstinence. You know, we don't do certain things. Uh, Disciplines of abstinence are things like solitude, Silence, fasting, frugality, chastity—those are things that we take out of our life, you know, either temporarily or permanently. Um, Solitude—we all need times to be alone. That's a good thing. Like, hey, if you are married, it's not a bad thing to say, "Hey, hun, I really need some time to myself." That's not an insult to your spouse. Like, because if you're not spending time with God, you can't be the best you for your spouse. Silence. Anybody have kids? Like, we need some silence. And, and it is possible. You may have to get up early in the morning for it, but it is possible to have silence. Or one of the ways that I found that silence is really helpful, I love listening to music in the car. Um, I have a whole playlist of classic rock and 80s music that I love. It's great, it's wonderful. Sometimes on my way to work, I just leave the radio off because I need space for God in my life. Um, Frugality is another one. Like, that's a hard one in our culture, especially in this area, because this is a pretty wealthy area. Like, frugality, like, just simply means, like, don't buy stuff you don't need. You know why? Because it distracts you. When we moved here, I had a um, ton of books. didn't realize how many books I had until we started unpacking them, and I was like, I've got a problem. And so now, I don't buy books unless I'm going to read them now. You know, I, I keep an Amazon list of books that I want and My in-laws are great, like, clockwork for my birthday and Christmas. Like, I get books that I want, um, and I can read those. I don't buy books anymore because I know I'm not going to have time to read them. That's frugality. You know, like, that thing that you want to get because it looks neat, but you don't think you're actually going to use it, like, don't buy it because it's just going to distract you. Fasting, yeah, everybody loves fasting, right? Like, go without food for a while. You can tell I'm a huge faster. Um, fasting is simply putting aside food for a while so that when you feel hunger pangs, you're reminded to look Godward. Pretty straightforward. There are also disciplines of engagement. Study, worship, prayer, fellowship, confession, like things like that. Um, study like read your bible like do that that's a really important one um you know like god gave us this book here and says hey guys um this will tell you my heart for you it'll tell me my plans for the world and how you can be involved in them like that's a really good place to spend time getting to know god prayer is talking to god talking with god all different kinds of prayer. You can pray for other people. Um, you can um, have listening prayer where you're listening for God to give you direction. Um, all kinds of different kinds of prayer, like engage in prayer. It's talking with God. Like, if you had a friend who never called you, how long is your friendship going to last? Like, at the very least, you're not going to be close. Like Spend time talking to God. Worship is so important because what worship does, You know like when you see somebody doing something well, and you tell them, hey, that's, that's really good. Just that simple act of, of saying, like, I'm going to give a compliment to somebody else, like, it humbles us and gives somebody else credit. Well, if there's anybody in this universe who deserves credit, it's God. And so worshiping, bringing ourselves in totality to give God the praise that he deserves, like, it reminds us of who we are, and who he is, the place that we have in his plans, and it draws us close to him. Like, really good thing, engage in spiritual disciplines. And then third category, podcaster I listen to, works for a while hard, dude's name is Morgan Snyder, he's really good. He has a third category that he calls the weird. Now, the weird is like, where do you personally connect with God? different for everybody. Like, maybe your thing is you like to go fishing. And I'm not giving you permission to miss church on Sunday morning to go fishing. That's not what I'm saying. But maybe you connect with God out in a boat because your hands are so used to just, you know, tying the knots and baiting and, you know, fishing, you know, everything involved with it, that you don't even have to think about it anymore. It clears your head. And in that space where your mind clears, you're able to connect with God. My wife likes to crochet. You know, her hands, she has been doing it so long, her hands are used to the motions. I've actually never asked her about this, but I have a suspicion that God talks to her while she's crocheting because it's something that she knows how to do and she can just zone out. It's a space where we can meet with God. On occasion, I'm able to meet with God when I run. Um, I go on runs. Most of the time, I'm trying to go on a run because I'm trying to lose weight, and get back in shape, and be healthy, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but on occasion, I go out because I'm frustrated, and I can't clear my head, and I need a space where I can go and just let my body go on autopilot so that my brain can clear and I can meet God there. What's your version of the weird? Like, what works for you? But all three of these categories, solitude and engage, or I'm sorry, um, abstinence and engagement and the weird, they work together. And what we do is we clear out space, we clear out clutter in our lives, things that are distracting us, keeping us from God, and replacing it with things that bring us closer to God. And that's how we draw closer. Listening to a podcast recently where a guy was interviewing um, a pastor named Lynn Collier, who was good friends with Eugene Peterson before he died. Eugene Peterson did the message translation. And he did Eugene Peterson's uh, biography after he passed. And one of the things that he said was that Eugene Peterson, he didn't pray. His life was prayer. And I heard it and just went, oh, that's what I want. Like, I want to be so in tune with God that I don't ever stop praying. I'm just constantly talking to Dad. Like, That's the kind of life that I want. I want to draw closer to God. That's the with God life. So three things to remember. God wants to have a loving, intimate relationship with you. Loving God is the only way to real happiness. And we have to cultivate that kind of life if that's what we want. And here's what it does. It gives us a taste of what's to come. You know, last week Daniel had that quote from C.S. Lewis, if we find desires in our heart that nothing in this world can fulfill, the only logical conclusion is that we're made for another world. Well, that's what the with God life does. It begins drawing our heart toward the life that we really want. That same author, C.S. Lewis, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, seven books, They're kids' books, but they're awesome if you have never read them. Um, By the end of the seventh book, what he writes is what the children found is that all their experiences in Narnia, all the stories, all the time that they had spent there were just the title and the cover page for the real story that was just beginning. Like our relationship with God primes our hearts for the story that is only just beginning and will go on into eternity. God's heart for us is love. He wants to be with us, and he wants to draw us close to him. But we have to be intentional about it. And so I would be remiss, before we close, if I didn't say, if you've never started that relationship with God, like there is a starting point. Like you have to give your life to God first. That's very simple. Like we have to believe who God is, what he has done. You know, Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. He became human, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins in our place, and rose again. And he now offers us life with him. And we have to repent. Fancy, fancy religious kind of word, but what it means is that we see we were doing things this way, but now we see that God's way is better. And so we're going to do it God's way. My sin, my failures, all those things that I was doing that, that are not in line with God's plan, I'm putting those things aside and I'm doing things God's way now. That's what repentance is. And then we ask him to save us. It's that simple. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you, grab me, grab Jacob, grab Dave McNair, grab somebody around here, and just say like, hey, how do I start this relationship with God? And if you grab somebody and tell them that, and they say, you know, I'm not really sure, then go, hey, well, come with me. Let's go find somebody else who can tell us both. But start that relationship with God. And it's what what we all want, whether we know it or not. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.